morning. What we talked about a little bit this morning is kind of what we're going to lead into uh, right now. And uh, I, I, we, it's just going to be a little bit more teaching, but I won't keep you long. I won't go into a, a lot of detail here. But uh, we're going to go, if you'll go to Luke chapter 11, and uh, we're going to kind of start there. But we've been talking about in Sunday school, and not necessarily this morning, but we've been talking about um, operating in the courts of heaven. All right, we talked about coming to God as father, friend, and judge. And what we're going to look at, the last time I think I spoke to you, we talked a little about coming to God as father. All right, we're going to talk to, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about coming to God as friend this morning. This is important because it kind of ties in or dovetails in to what we talked about this morning with everything that's going on. All right, everything that's going on in the world, and as we see these things taking place, what is our responsibility? What is our place? All right, you have a position to take and to hold. All right, I want you to have an understanding of that. You have a position, no matter how young or how old you are, you're right where God wants you to be, but you have a position, and you need to realize what that position is. All right, now over in Luke chapter 11. We talked about this uh, going into the last time I talked to you, I believe. But if you look at Luke chapter 11, you begin there in verse 1. We're not going to read this. But it talks about Jesus coming to the disciples and you know teaching them how to pray. And here in Luke chapter 11, you're going to see Jesus teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer. We talked about the Lord's Prayer. But now if you read on there, and, it, and let me just say this. In the Lord's Prayer, what is the first sentence there? It's our Father who art in heaven, right? So Jesus is, is teaching them to come to God as Father there in Luke 11, that God is our Father and we're to come to Him as Father. But let's read on just a little bit here. If you read on and go down to chapter 5 there, and it says, And He said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Verse 8 says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give to him as many as he needs. Now, I want to stop right there for just a second, and I want to give you an answer to a question that people have. All right, and as I was studying this, this is what God spoke to me. How many people have ever debated the question, how many times do I need to pray about a certain matter? If you ask, I ask anybody, and you're going to get a different response. You're going to get some people say, well, you pray about it, and then you just let it go. And then you're going to have some people say, well, you keep praying, you keep praying, you keep praying, you keep praying until you get an answer. The answer to the age-old question, all right, is it's both. There are certain things that you need to pray about and then trust God on. All right? And then there are certain matters that you need to be persistent and keep pressing. The Bible says to ask and to keep asking sometimes, knock and keep knocking, amen? There are certain matters in which you need to keep pressing God on. And so the key to the question, or the answer to the question, if you will, but the key that unlocks the door is knowing when to be per persistent and when to trust God. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? 
There's time you because you ask you ask people. Well, you, you all you need to do is pray about it and then let it go. You heard that? You ever had somebody? And there's nothing wrong with that. They're right on certain matters. And then there's people who say, well, you just need to press in. You just need to keep pressing. You just need to keep pushing. You need to keep praying. Just pray, 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 right? The answer is they're both right. The key is knowing when to do what. Is everybody with me? And the answer to that only comes by the Holy Spirit. God will tell you or will speak to your spirit and when you need to pray about it and let it go and trust him. But you have to know. You have to know. But it's by the spirit of the living God. When God says, I want you to press. I want you to press. I want you to keep... Everybody with me? This is not the message. This is free. I ain't charging for this at all. But that's the key to this thing is knowing when to pray over a matter and then laying it there and walking away from it. And when you need to keep pressing and pushing and seeking God over something that you're not getting the answer to. And the key lies in hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit of I want you to keep pressing. I want you to keep pushing. Or now I want you to lay it down and I want you to trust me. You understand what I'm saying? So the answer to the question is they're both right. You just got to know when to implement the strategy. That's the key. So back to the text. So we see here, we see here a friend coming on behalf of a friend to another friend, right? So you have one person, and in this situation, in the illustration that Jesus is giving us, we are, we are, the, we are the first friend in this scenario, if you will. We are the friend that has a friend coming to our house, and we ain't got no bread for him. And so we go to our other friend, hoping that he may provide for the friend that's come to our house. Everybody follow me? So there's basically three people in this scenario. And in this illustration, we're to be the first friend, if you will. We're the friend that has a friend coming and seeking something. Now, we're talking about coming to God as a friend. We're to come to God. There's three different areas that we're going to look at, not today, but in Sunday school. Coming to God, uh, our God as Father, as friend, and in ju as judge. And knowing when to come to Him and in which aspect to come. Everybody with me? Uh, uh, this might sound a little confusing, but stay with me. So we see here in this situation... <clears throat> that the man comes and says, I need bread to give to my friend. And the guy says, I, I'm, I don't have anything. It's late. Just go away. Leave me alone. But he keeps saying, look, i got to have something. I've got to have something to provide for my friend that's come to my house. And the Bible says even though the third person was a friend, he didn't give it to him as a friend, 
But he said, man, this dude is not going to quit knocking on my door. He's not going to quit ringing my phone. He's not going to keep, you know, texting me whatever manner of mode of communication you use now. He's not going to stop till I give him something. So I might as well just get up out of bed and give it to him and be done with it so I can get some sleep, right? And so we see this example here of how to come to God as a friend. Now, I want to look real quickly. There's three instances we're going to look at, three passages of Scripture. I'm going to go fast. Over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, there's certain people in the Bible that the Bible references as friends of God, a friend of God. Okay? They're labeled as a friend of God. Abraham, we'll see three instances in the word where Abraham is referred to as a friend of God. Real quickly here. Over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Are you not God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? All right, and I'm going to read this just out of this book here. It says, as a result of Abraham being a friend of God, God was faithful and kept his covenant with Israel. Because Abraham was a friend of God, God honored Abraham and honored his promise to Abraham that he would drive the inhabitants out of the land for Abraham's descendants. Your friendship with God, I want you to understand this right now because this is, has the very impact of what we was talking about this morning. Your friendship with God, your relationship with God has the, uh, is tied, if you will, or could be tied not only to your life but your family's life, your friend's life, and even on a national level because Abraham was a friend of God God says, I'm going to drive the inhabitants of, uh, 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 out of the land so I can fulfill the promise that I gave to Abraham and his descendants would be owners of that particular land. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? A lot of times we get so caught up in me, mine, and, you know, that we forget about the consequences that we have on other people's life. You hold the key for somebody else. We've talked about this many times. You hold the key for somebody else. But with everything that's going on in the world today, instead of complaining about it, why don't we stand as intercessors? As intercessors. We'll see also in uh, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, it says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. The descendants of Abraham, my friend. Abraham was a friend of God. We are also referred to as friends. We're referred to as adopted sons or daughters, right? With certain rights and privileges that go with that. 
But we also, you, uh, let me continue on. I, I don't want to get sidetracked here. You'll also see it in James chapter 2, verse 21 and 23. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, in saying that, we'll go back to Genesis chapter 18, and you will see where God began to reveal to Abraham. We see the story in Genesis chapter 18 of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? These were two cities that were so polluted, so uh, infested with filth, so uh, uh, denigrated that God says, I'm going to destroy these cities. I cannot take them any longer. Their sin has become so great. They have gone so far that I am going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And, G and God goes on and says, you know, before I do this, I need, to, I need to go to Abraham and tell Abraham what I'm about to do. Now I'm paraphrasing, but you can read this over in Genesis chapter 18. It says, I've got to go and tell Abraham what I'm going to... Why do you think God needed to tell Abraham what he was about to do? Why did God need to reveal to Abraham what he was about to do? Why? God's God. You don't need Abraham's permission to do anything. He don't need our permission, to, although we think he does sometimes. He doesn't need our permission to do anything. God is sovereign. There is no higher authority, no higher court, no higher judge than God. He is the supreme court, if you will. He is the supreme judge. There is nothing higher than God. But yet he says, I need to tell Abraham what I'm about to do. Why? Because he knew that Abraham, what was Abraham's first response? Well, we know that Abraham had a nephew by the name of Lot that lived there in Sodom, right? He lived there and he, he knew that Abraham loved his nephew and Lot had a wife and Lot had two daughters. And evidently, Lot had some other family members as well. Now, I'll get into this a little bit later, but there's some speculation as that Lot had a couple of other daughters because the Bible says that Lot had son-in-laws. Now, we know that the two girls that left with Lot and his wife were virgins, the Bible says. They didn't have husbands. All right? But Abraham immediately begins to intercede. Right? Everybody remember the story? He goes to God and says, God, you know, if there's 50 righteous people in the, in the cities, will you still destroy it? And God says, no. If there's 50 righteous people, I won't destroy it. And he begins to dwindle that number down. And he goes, and he goes down by increments of five, if I'm not mistaken. And he gets all the way down to 10. Now, there's some speculation that 10 was the number that was in Lot's family. I don't know that for a fact, but I would think that would be a fairly reasonable assumption. 
So you had Lot, his wife, two daughters, that's four. And then you might have another two daughters that had husbands, and they may have a kid or two. I don't know. But he, got, he stops at 10. My own specific reasoning would be that would be the case. That was Lot's entire family there. All right? But he stops at 10. There weren't even 10 people there. But what my point of it is, is God revealed what he was about to do. Why? So that Abraham could intercede. Abraham immediately began to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his family. Immediately. Immediately he began to, Lord, if there's 50, if there's 50, if there's 40, if there's 20, Lord, if there's just 10. They couldn't even find 10. And the angels went and said, Look, Lot, you better get your stuff and get on out of here. But because Abraham interceded, Lot, well, we know what happened to Lot's wife, but Lot and his two girls got out of there, right? Because Abraham had interceded on the basis of a friendship that he had with God. Everybody with me? I'm gonna, I got to hurry. We'll come back to this later, all right? I, I wanna, I, there's a lot of scripture that I want to get into, but I just don't have time to get into it today. I want to turn over to Numbers chapter 14 real quickly. Numbers chapter 14. Now, the reason I, I, I say this dovetails in with what we were talking about this morning, because everything that's going on, we are to begin to intercede, take our place. What is interceding? It's mean, it basically means standing in between. Standing in between. We're just seeing Abraham stand in between God and the destructions of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the death of Lot. You're going to see another quick example here. This is a story of, of the exodus, if you will, and the children of Israel as they're, as they're leave, leaving Egypt, and they come to a place. And in Numbers chapter 14, I believe it is, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So we see here Numbers chapter 14, Numbers chapter 13, the spies were sent out into the land. Everybody remember the story of the spies going out to the land saying it's good, but there's giants. We don't want to go in. We're afraid. We can't do it. It's too much. We're too small. We're not enough. Blah, 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 blah. And in Numbers chapter 14, it says that, so all the congregation, in verse 1, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole con congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said one to another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and 
before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Now, if you will read on there and keep reading, you're going to see where God says, Look, Moses, I've had enough of this people. I've had enough of their bickering and their complaining and their murmuring and their disobedience and their rejecting of me and, and my, the, what I've done for them. I've had enough of them. Moses, just move out of the way. I'm going to destroy this people, this nation, this, this group of people that's, that's, you know, that's out here murmuring and complaining. And out of you, I will make it a great nation out of you. And Moses took his place. Moses, wait. Wait. God, don't do this. Don't destroy this people. Don't do this thing. Why, once again, did God allow an individual such as Moses to stand in between what God was saying he was about to do, right, which was destroy Israel and Moses standing in between them and saying wait don't do this sometimes we look at and we just kind of gloss over things a lot of times there's a reason why God reveals his plans to individuals God wants certain people he wants all people but only certain people are willing to do it, to take their place, to take up their position and say, God, wait a minute. Don't, don't do that. Do you think Moses actually changed God's mind? I mean, really. Or was it God's plan to have Moses position himself there? Was it, I mean, why did God reveal his plan to Abraham? So, because he knew Abraham would try to talk him out of it, right? Jeremiah chapter 33. I, I, I'm getting ready to close, folks, I, and I'm condensing this way down for you guys today. I want to take you here. Jeremiah chapter 33. I want to leave you with this scripture. God wants you to position yourself not only for you but for the people around you not only for the people that are present here today but the people who are to come after you you have an understanding of that Abraham was a friend of God and as a result of Abraham being a friend of God those blessings and promises that God spoke to Abraham. Go back to 2 Chronicles where we just read. Because God had spoke a blessing or a promise to Abraham, Abraham's descendants seen the fulfillment of that. What God speaks to you today, your children might be the recipient of. Or your grandchildren might be the recipient of. 
or your children's children's children may be the recipient of. But we have the mentality of me and mine alone. And we don't have the bigger picture of things. Where Abraham had the bigger picture of things. Moses had the bigger picture of things. Jesus certainly had the bigger picture of things. The disciples had the bigger picture of things. Your interceding, your obedience to God, not only affects you, but your children and your children's children. can also affect a nation. And you say, well, who am I? You're a friend of God. How can that be possible? Because you're chosen, you're handpicked by the Father to be here this morning. You're not here by accident wishing I would hurry. You're here because God's chosen you to be here. You're here because God called you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You might not have a realization or a visualization of what that is of yet, but God has something for you. And it's not just for you. We get so hung up on me. It's not just for you, but it's for everybody around you and your children to come after you. And possibly you are the one that will stand in defense and intercession for a nation. Amen. You say, not me. So did Moses. Amen. Lord, you got the wrong person when that bush is burning. Not me. Maybe you're a Gideon. Lord, you're not talking to me. I'm no mighty man of valor. Not me. Who am I? Maybe you're a David out tending the sheep. When Samuel comes to seek out the new king and he goes through the entire household and he says, it's not any of these. Do you have anybody else? <laughs> I got one more, but he's the youngest. And it's certainly not him. You understand what I'm telling you? You sit there saying it's not me when God's saying yes. It's you. I've chosen you. I've handpicked you. I created you and designed you. I know your DNA because I created your DNA. It's you. Quickly, and I'm going to dismiss. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. I want you to grasp this, and we're going to close. God reveals his secrets to his friends. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you, 
and show you great and mighty things which you do not know or know not of. Call to me, God says, and I'm going to answer you. And I'm going to show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Why? Because you're a friend of God. You've been grafted into the family of the living God. And God will show you great and mighty things that you know us not.